Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. So when you open Twitter... And you, oh, Twitter. Oh, Twitter. And you start looking at what people are saying. What drives you, what drives you crazy? Yeah. So I think that drives me crazy where it's like, but I thought that we weren't all the same. So I think that, mm-hmm. you know, you want to lift black voices, but y'all won't lift my black voice. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast. We've got a great discussion today on the topic of racial reconciliation. We're bringing back an old friend of the podcast, Miss Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity. Monique. Hello. Hi. Good to see you. You too. You know, our last episode together, uh, we recorded just when things were in the country were just really coming unhinged. And we I've gotten so much great feedback from that episode from people just saying, Everything I was feeling but didn't know how to articulate, uh, you know, you were able to help them sort of navigate through some of these very tense and delicate cultural waters regarding issues of race and uh, what's going on in the country and all of that. So uh, I'm really excited to have you in studio. Yes, I am glad to be here. Yeah, so we're going to talk, we're going to sort of extend our discussion. This is like part two from our last one. So if if anybody's watching this and you haven't seen that first episode with Monique, I would encourage you to go back into the archives. Uh, I I believe it was called, Is Critical Race Theory Compatible with the Gospel? Something along those lines. We talked about this concept of critical race theory. Now, since that podcast, we see this everywhere now. Everywhere. CRT is the abbreviation. And um, so, so we discussed that on that last podcast, but for anyone who just needs sort of a primer or catch up, just in a nutshell, what is critical race theory? And then we're going to build upon that and continue our discussion today. Critical race theory is truly an analytical framework to look into society at the injustices based on race, especially um injustices impacting minorities. It looks, it started out looking at law, but it looks at injustices within a society. How are people of color treated treated unjustly, Mm -hmm. especially in the realm of law? Yeah. So law, the judicial system and things like that. What are the issues that are impacting people of color? I know many people would would on a layman's term say it looks at the oppressed versus the oppressor. But it is while while it truly does look at who is oppressing whom um, it it focuses on power dynamics. Mm -hmm. So what are the power dynamics within a society who upholds power and how do they use that power to maintain their position within a society? Yeah. And in embedded and correct me if I'm wrong, but embedded in the, in the whole discipline of critical race theory is this idea that racism is present everywhere and always. Yes. It's it's just your job to identify where it is. Yeah. And so you argue this is not biblical. Yes. And, and so we kind of delved into those waters on the last podcast. But today, you know, there are so many people, now that so many 
podcasts and Twitter feeds and blog posts and books even have been written now addressing this topic of critical race theory. A lot of Christians have expressed the idea that, okay, yes, we reject critical race theory, but let's get off that. What what can we do? What's the way forward? So that's kind of what we're going to discuss today. Yeah. We're going to be talking about, if not CRT, then mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. So I think a good place to start might be to build upon just some good definitions. So when we talk about race, uh, we hear this all the time, racial reconciliation, racial injustice, racial inequities. Uh, but let's start with what is race? And, and now, of course, as biblical Christians, we're going to define that biblically. So in, in the Bible, what is the biblical concept of race? I would actually say that the a biblical definition would be to look at ethnicity. So when we talk about race, there truly is one human race. We all started from Adam and Eve. If you believe in a historical Adam and Eve, I do. Yeah. And so believing in the historical Adam and Eve, we all come from one set of parents making us truly one race. I think scientifically there's evidence to back that up too, that there's um, like micro adaptations to humans that make us different, but that does, they're not big enough to say, well, you are this group of people or you are this race and they are that race. Mm -hmm. That is more of a man-made social construct. In reality, there is only one human race. You do have different ethnicities. I think the word um, in scripture is ethnos. Mm -hmm. And so that looks at different people groups based on usually like different location and things like that. But ethnicity is truly what we are, what we should be talking about. Right, because biblically speaking, we are the same race, you and I. And we might have different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, but uh, we're one. We're one blood. Yes. And that's great news. That's a great place to start. It really is. And when you look in the New Testament, the idea of race, you see people are either in Christ or in Adam. Like these are the groupings now. Yes. And I love how in your work with Center for Biblical Unity, you always go to family. We're family. We are family. family. We are. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are family. Yes. And so with that foundation, how should Christians go about talking about racial reconciliation? How should we approach this discussion? Because I know this is a huge part of the ministry that you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you go to ministries and you help them with racial reconciliation. So how should we be thinking about that? Well, you know, I I heard someone say that races don't reconcile hearts to do. And it was actually Mm -hmm. um, Virgil Walker from the Just Thinking podcast. Mm -hmm. When he said that, I was Uncle Virgil. I was like, (laughs) my goodness, what... what insight? Because when we look in scripture, the reconciliation that is that occurs is between sinful hearts to a holy God. And that that reconciliation brings us into the family. It, it causes our adoption. It causes our brother and sisterhood. And that reconciles us together. And so the idea of reconciliation, racial reconciliation, biblically, I don't think we have a lot of warrant for. Mm. I think the reconciliation of races happens as we come into the family, as we come and become children of God. I think we even see this in Matthew. I want to say Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples of all nations. When we make disciples of all nations, they come into the family of God. They come into the household. They become reconciled to each other. It is it is the Great Commission and the going out that brings people in and reconciles us together. It's not about what you do as a white person Mm -hmm. to um, atone for for the sins of your ancestors, you know, racial prejudice, if that were the case. Mm -hmm. It is the fact that when we come into relationship with Jesus, that he then supernaturally does something to our relationship. Mm. That's good because, you know, culture would tell me as a white woman that there's a lot of work I have to do. I have to read certain books. Mm-hmm. I have to do the work. I mm-hmm. have to educate myself. I have to know when to speak, when not to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, even this scenario would be considered oppressive in some way or have racist tones going on. We got white lights, white I, background. White background. I'm just. I didn't think that through before we started. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, so culture is telling me. There's so much I have to do, education I need to to go after. 
And, and, you know, that's an idea that is rooted in critical race theory, really, because there's sort of this constant inequity that uh, everybody needs to be aware of and, and do this work. But your message is really different. You're saying, uh, you know, no, we are reconciled because we are sisters in Christ. Yes. Now, with that said, though, surely there's something that needs to be done or is there not? Or, or how do we go about like, let's say we have a church where you have maybe it's pretty diverse, but there are some people who may have prejudice in their hearts against someone else because of the color of their skin or ethnic background. According to your model of racial reconciliation, what would it look like to address that? Well, one, I would say if you have prejudice in your heart or um, racism in your heart, which truly biblically would be considered um, ethnic partiality, you need to get into a conversation with the Lord. You need to repent. Like yeah. there are some things you need to walk through with the Lord. Or if I know that someone in the church has these issues and attitudes of heart, I can confront them and say, you know, hey, have you considered this? I mean, it doesn't have to be some kind of you're like doomed and the most evil person on the planet. Canceled. Yeah, there, it doesn't need to be that. I can have a conversation with you and pray that you would come out of this mindset. Now, if you choose not to, I would bring you to leadership. Mm -hmm. And or I would, you know, or if, if you didn't respond to leadership, then I would say, you know, maybe this person needs to come under church discipline. Yeah. Maybe this person needs to be treated as an unbeliever. Because hate, what we have to understand is that Racism is a multitude of sins. Mm. It would include things like ethnic partiality, hatred, slander. Like these are, I think, issues that people find in their hearts. It doesn't have to just be about race. Mm -hmm. You know, I could hate men. I could hate children. I could hate, you know, like there's a lot of things that I could mm -hmm. hate. I don't hate men or children, people. I'm just, I'm just, it was just an example. But <laughs> If these are things that are in my heart that I don't think are problems, that I don't think that, you know, need to be addressed, we might have to have other conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with racism. And so when, you know, I'm off on a tangent, I'm just going to no, go ahead and No, this is good. It. This is good. But when it comes to doing things like, like the work of racial reconciliation, it's not that there is never any work to do. I need to be inspecting my own heart continuously because I can fall prey to that as well. Mm. And I need to understand how do I walk in unity with my brothers and sisters? So we can look back at, or first we can look in Ephesians 4, you know, how to walk in unity. Paul is extremely clear on what do we need to do to walk in unity. But we can also look into the Old Testament. No, I'm not saved by the law, but I can look in the law where God clearly laid out how do you treat your neighbor? Mm. What is love? Like, how do you love one another? How do you do justice? These are principles that we should be continuously walking out and even more so because my heart is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I, one of the things I appreciate about your ministry is while you take a very strong stand against secular solutions, unbiblical solutions like critical race theory, you're not denying that racism exists in the world still. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, but there's a different biblical way to go about it as Christians mm -hmm. and especially within the church uh, as, as believers. There's yes. a different way to go about this. But I think that one of the things that has left people just scratching their heads through, especially in this past couple of years that have been, where tensions are so high and there's been so much going on, is maybe you can help us with how the definition of racism has actually changed. Yeah. Just really even, uh, now in critical studies, it's changed a while back, but it, in the more lay level, sort of average Joe level, it's really changed in the past year. Mm -hmm. So when one person's talking about racism, they might be talking with another person about racism, but they might mean two, two completely different, things. different yes. things. So help us unpack that. So originally, um, racism would have been something that you did to me or I did to you. You know, it would be the person who participates in things like the KKK or, um, you know, uses racial slurs and things like that. Now racism is endemic. It is um, spread throughout systems. Racism is more about systems than about the individual. It's about the collective. So 
Um, when you hear things like all white people are racist or they all are complicit in racism, it's because they all, whether knowing or unknowing, um, by virtue of just being white, are seen as participating in systems that benefit them at all times. Mm. So, so you can have two people, one person can mean like partiality within the heart or prejudice mm -hmm. within the heart. And the other person, they're not even talking about that. They're yes. talking about, that's why people would say that even if I as a white person don't have any prejudice in my heart towards someone because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background, I am still a racist because I'm a part, I'm, I'm benefiting from and participating in a system that uh, would be called white supremacy, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's been the confusing thing for a lot of people, if I've characterized that correctly, uh, because there's a lot of people going, well, I don't have that in my heart, but I'm supposed to say that I'm a racist. And, and so I think that, that that's been kind of confusing, but how, how would you respond to that? Or how would you, if somebody came to you and said, how am I supposed to navigate through that? What would be your advice? Well. Before I go into that, I would say that even the idea of individualism right now is being considered racist or or upholding racist systems and structures. So when you say, well, I am not racist, mm. then you what you're doing is taking a step back and saying, but, you know, all these other people can be racist because I don't need to look at it necessarily because I don't participate in that. Mm. Does that make sense? Kind of. So so if I were to say. I'm not racist, according to critical theory, they would say that that's individualism that is racist. Yes, is that what it, you're it's, it's upholding a racist structure. It allows for the racism to continue. It's like a no-win. It is a no-win. And yeah. when you look at Kendi, and I'll, I will come back to your question, when you look yeah. at Kendi, um, he's the author of um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. The idea of being not racist isn't a thing. You are either racist or you are anti-racist. So there is no no position or place for just being like neutral or not racist. You are either actively being anti-racist, meaning you are actively advocating for um, what he considers anti-racist structures, anti-racist systems, anti-racist legislation, or you are being racist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, yeah, it is a no win. Now, your question was, how do we navigate? Um, I think it was how how can we navigate when we're having these kind of discussions with people? We have to understand where people are. So if I'm having this conversation with someone who upholds CRT and is not a Christian, I'm going to use an an evangelistic tool. Mm. If I'm having this conversation with someone who upholds CRT and they are a Christian, I'm going to ask more biblical conversations. Well, how do you, you know, understand sin? How do you understand, um, you know, each person's decision to participate in sin? Um, I would just, I would ask many different questions that would potentially lead them on a road um, to understanding that my my participation in systems is still my participation. And yeah, I, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because I bear the color of skin, like can you show me somewhere in scripture where people were guilty simply because of the color of their skin? Mm. Yeah, because that's kind of by the classic definition, racist. Yeah. To, to feel that way. So in the church, what is our biblical responsibility for unity, because it seems to me now, I'm certainly not an expert in critical theory or critical race theory by any far stretch, but it seems like when I'm reading material that's put out by people who advocate for critical race theory or maybe even uh, aren't openly advocating for it, but sort of use a lot of the language and a lot of the categories, it seems like unity isn't really the goal. Mm -hmm. Would that be correct to say that? And, and then if that's true, what's our, as Christians, our biblical responsibility when it comes to unity? Because unity is something Jesus prayed for and clearly wanted to see in his, in his church. Mm -hmm. As Christians, our responsibility for unity, to walk in unity, I think comes out of Ephesians 4. And if you, if we, I don't have a Bible with me, but if we were to thread through Ephesians 4, what you'll see is that Paul calls people to humility, forbearance, long suffering, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 
And he gets these ideas directly out of the Old Testament. He is repeating to the church in Ephesus, which was mainly a Gentile church, how to walk in unity, which was something that the Jews had learned from their time in the Old Testament and now had been passed down generation to generation. We all have a responsibility to each other to uphold these principles. It's not that because I'm black, I have less work to do, or because you're white, you have more work to do. We have to understand that as Christians, we come together and we have family rules. And the family rules are that we don't slander, we don't talk bad about one another, we are long-suffering, we love, we go again with one another. It's not that I just, you know, say, well, you know, your ancestors were slave owners, maybe, and but because you have this color skin, for some reason, you're definitely wrong. And now you need to do all these things. You need to read the books, lament, repent, legislate. Um, you know, do all of these things, divest yourself of whiteness while I sit here and just basically receive. Mm. That's not the way that Christians participate. Now, culture can do what culture wants to do. Mm -hmm. As Christians, we participate differently. That's good. And so as Christians, we have to take our instructions directly from the word of God and we move forward from there. Even if you yourself at one time were a racist, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that I no longer regard you. When you come into the household of faith, I no longer regard you according to your sin or according mm -hmm. to your old man, that old person before you came into Christ. Mm -hmm. And so even if you yourself were, were guilty of um, overt racism, I, when you come into the household of Christ, I now have a responsibility to treat you different. Mm. You have your own responsibility, but so do I. And together we have the, the responsibility of Ephesians 4. That's good. So when you open Twitter mm. and you... Oh, Twitter. Oh, Twitter. And you start looking at what people are saying, what drives you, what drives you crazy? Oh, it's a lot of things. You only want one? No, um, I think what drives me crazy is the idea that my voice as a black woman, because it doesn't go along with culture, is usually downplayed, talked about, made to seem like, well, that she's just talking white and things like that. Um, but then on the other hand, mm -hmm. it's like, well, black people aren't monolithic and black people all think differently. But as soon as you step out of the, the narrative, um, then it's it's white. So yeah. I think that drives me crazy where it's like. But I thought that we weren't all the same. So I think that, mm -hmm. you know, you want to lift black voices, but y'all won't lift my black voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's something that drives me crazy. I think another thing that drives me crazy and it just happened this morning um, is when white women, and, and it, it generally happens from white women, I'll put something out and then automatically they're like, you don't care about black people. Or apparently you don't understand racism. Or you don't understand slavery. Or, you know, and all these things. Or, or they'll give, you know, eight reasons why I should change my mind, change my voice, my experience doesn't matter, and things like that. And I'm like, and, and they'll use rationing or, or um, ration, rationales from CRT. And I'm like, but one of the, the premises of CRT would be that you can't tell me about my experience. Yeah, I was just going to say, because yeah, isn't the whole seat, narrative take tell them? several seats. They're not supposed to educate you. But for some reason, within this paradigm, that's not just allowed, but it's seems to be encouraged, mm -hmm. which is very hypocritical, isn't it? Yes. And and that's more definitely, I feel like the street level CRT, mm -hmm. more of the, the walking out what we see, not necessarily the the tenets of, of CRT, like CRT proper. But yes, in what we see being walked out, like this idea of, you know, we don't educate, we listen if you're white and things like that. But then as soon as I open my mouth, you feel like the need to, to correct, to educate. And I just want to be like... <laughs> you know you out of line, right? But see. Yeah. No, that's good. And you, you've, I've heard you even say on a podcast once there was a white woman in the chat basically trying to educate you mm -hmm. on racism and, and issues of, of part, you know, all this stuff. And at one point you, you kindly, but you just said, please stop helping me. Yeah. Talk about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So Jason Riley um, 
is an author. He wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. And it looks at liberal white policies or policies written by white liberals. Let me say that um, to help the poor, to help the minority. But these policies end up hurting black and brown people more than they help. So things like welfare or, um, you know, different drug policies and, you know, things like that, they actually end up helping, I mean, not helping, hurting the poor, hurting um, black and brown communities more than they help. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. And one, I'd recommend it to everyone. I think it's so insightful. Mm -hmm. He himself is black and a black conservative and just gives a different viewpoint to the social justice narrative that's being put out there right now. And so when this woman came on and on this podcast, on my, it was actually on our podcast mm -hmm. and was giving all of the reasons why we need reparations and why we need, um, you know, welfare and things like that. I was just like, you know, please stop helping us mm -hmm. because this is not helping. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know that you get a lot of pushback for your message. Um, and I know a lot of people even say, hey, Monique, everything you just said, you know, you're just letting white people off the hook. You've just excused, you know, their, their lifetime of racism. Um, and I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that. What, what would you say to, to people who say that to you? I would say that I think the word of God puts us all on the hook that we are all responsible. We all need to be watching out for the attitudes of our, our hearts. We all need to be, um, you know, watching out or being responsible for the way that we treat one another. It's not that, you know, only white people need to be doing these things. It's that I do too, because my heart is also deceptively wicked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can I know it unless I submit it to the Lord? And so, the way that I treat you or the way that I treat someone else is is my responsibility. But I, I know how I should treat someone based on scripture. And so it's not about letting anyone off the hook. It's actually about saying, hey, look, we're all on the hook because according to John 17, our unity is for the culture to know that God sent Jesus and that God loves us. Mm. And so if our unity is for something, and I believe that's John 17, like 20 to 23, our unity is for something. And if our unity is for something, then we are on the hook because he has said, look, you are doing this because of this. So when we're not participating in accordance with biblical unity, culture, what does culture have to see? What does the world have to see? Mm-hmm. How do they know that God sent Jesus? How do they know that God loves them? Like, or that God loves us? This is what our unity is for. So we are on the hook. Like there is a reason for what we do and how we participate with one another. Yeah, that's good. And you know, in the conversation regarding biblical unity and what our responsibilities are, I'd love to even just drill down into some real practical questions that I know you've even received. People have, have come to you with these questions. Uh, what do I do with this? One specific question would be, let's say I do some Ancestry.com or something, and I find out that my ancestors own slaves. Um, but from a biblical worldview, what, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, it's painful. And I also believe that you are responsible for your participation. Now you can get in a conversation with the Lord and be like, Lord, do I need to do anything? Like maybe you're a multimillionaire and you know that, you know, you, a lot of your wealth came on the backs of slaves. Get in a conversation with the Lord. Is, is there something that you want me to do with it? What do I need to do with this? But I can't be your Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and tell you this is what you need to do. I think that you have to be responsible and in conversation with the Lord for the attitude of your heart, because this is what we see in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I have done... Um, research and I know like where part of my ancestry comes from. I've seen pictures where, um, you know, like th there are slaves in my line mm. or I come from the line of slaves. Do I, you know, now harbor in my heart resentment for all white people? No, I don't because I am also responsible for my own heart. Mm. And so I think that 
our conversations need to, yes, we can live in the reality that slavery happened and that slavery was horrible and that I am responsible for my relationship with the Lord and how I participate with others. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's the responsibility of churches to make sure that their congregation reflects a broad uh, diversity. I, I hear this a lot in reference to Revelation and every tribe, that beautiful passage in Revelation where every tribe, tongue, and nation is around the throne worshiping together. And um, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because there are certain areas where the whole area is just not as diverse as somewhere else. And so how do you go about answering that question? Is the church not already diverse? Like if, if the church were to, like if the world were to end today and everyone is now around the throne, would there not be every tribe and tongue reflected or nearly every tribe? I don't know if every people group has yet been reached, but um, would we not see when we look at the global church, every tribe and tongue reflected? You know, I think in America, we have a very unique context. Now, you do get, quote unquote, the black church out of, you know, issues with racism and segregation and things like that. But in America, we have we have different issues. I think we have a lot of preference and, um, you know, different cultural things and things like that. So when when we talk about coming around the throne, when we talk about the multi-ethnic church or the multicultural church, um, I would say that the church is multi-ethnic. It is multicultural. America, um, I, I guess I would put it this way. I would much rather have a, um, a mono-ethnic church that I know people can can come into freely because people's hearts aren't um, burdened down with ethnic partiality or racism, then this idea that every church has to look completely like, you know, rainbow nations, mm -hmm. but yet people within the church are factioned off. Mm, that's interesting. Because you do have that. You do have multi-ethnic churches where people's hearts are still filled with ethnic partiality. I used to belong to a multi-ethnic church where people's hearts were definitely um, burdened down with racism. And mm -hmm. so these people here knew that they weren't really going to talk to those people there or we would have conversations. And, you know, this group of people has stuff to say about that group of people. So it's definitely more of an attitude of heart. Where is a space where no matter what your skin color, you can come in and join the family of God. Mm -hmm. That's good. Do you think that churches uh, should seek to reflect the community? Mm -hmm. Maybe not the global, you know, church, but uh, because that's impossible in a lot of places, obviously. But uh, talk about that a little bit. What, you know, what would your vision be for just the local church in a particular area? I think one of the things that I've learned from my ministry partner, Krista, is that we can, or churches should potentially look like the community that they are in the middle of. So what does it look like five miles around your community? You know, if it's, you know, within a five mile radius of your community, um, everyone is white and your church is all white, then you're reflecting your community. But if your church is all white and your community is all black, then I would ask some other questions. <laughs> you know, are you are you reaching your community? How are you doing evangelism? There are other questions to be asked. But that doesn't mean that just because your church might be all white in an all black area that it's racist. Mm -hmm. You could just ask other questions. Yeah, that's good. I want to talk about your new curriculum. Yay! That's coming out because I'm really excited about it. I, of course, got an early copy. And one of the things that really impressed me about it is that, I mean, you're facilitating in this curriculum some very potentially tense discussions. I mean, you're really asking people to dig down deep in their hearts and listen to each other and to express what they're feeling about this stuff and how we can, as brothers and sisters, walk in unity together in, in these types of discussions. And I so appreciate that about the curriculum. But I think one question, and it's kind of the question we're addressing as the broader topic of this podcast, which is if not CRT, 
then what? Mm -hmm. And I think your curriculum is the then what. Yay! You know, it's, yes. it's because there's not nothing. It's not just like we're just going to deny and ignore and just, you know, close our eyes and walk in unity, you know, as yes. like we got to we got to talk about stuff. We mm -hmm. got to we got to know what's happening in culture. We have to know what the Bible says about it and engage with that, which mm -hmm. I think your curriculum does so well. But tell us a little bit about your curriculum. Like, how is it structured with is there video or is there a workbook? Do we do groups? How does it work? Because I'd really love for for my viewers and listeners to uh, you know, maybe I'm just going to talk right into the camera because if you're watching, maybe you can be an advocate in your, <laughs> I've got a lot of cameras here. <laughs> maybe you can be an advocate in your church to bring this curriculum in and start some small groups and get, get discussions going. So, so I'm going to swing back to you and I want you to tell us about it. What is, what is it involve? How many weeks is it? All that stuff. Well, the curriculum is reconciled and see now I don't know where to look either. <laughs> um, but it is a six week curriculum and it definitely it has a workbook. So each person will have their own workbook, their own um, like questions that they go through, but you do go through it as a small group. And then there's a video component to it. Now, I don't necessarily teach. What I do is um, come in and bridge some of the gap. So how do we see some of these things playing out in culture? What other questions can we ask? I, um, I really step in, yeah, again, to, to kind of bridge some of the gap between scripture and culture or um, looking at some of the, the conversations that are happening in culture and how do we think about them from a biblical perspective. But the idea is to get people in the word. Mm. Christians need to be in the word and understanding the word themselves. And so that's the goal of the curriculum is to come together as a small group, as family around the table to dig into the word and understand that we can have these conversations as family. Family has hard conversations. We don't just come together as family just to, you know, shoot the breeze and have a good old time. Yeah, that's part of being in a family, but family also means having hard conversations, crying together, saying, you know, no, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. Or I don't like that. But yes, I understand that that's scripture and it's true. How do we navigate some of these conversations? And so that is, that's our curriculum. It's six weeks long. It starts out with the myth of, of racial reconciliation. I think that's the first video. And just looking at what is culture and some in the church putting forward as racial reconciliation and whose responsibility is racial reconciliation. But then moving into unity. If racial reconciliation isn't the way, how do we get to unity? How do we walk out unity? Whose responsibility is, is it to walk out unity? Um, and then just just definitely asking questions where we can come together as family, not just as, you know, you're a believer, I'm a believer and we stay in our separate, mm -hmm. you know, areas, but we're family. And so we're going to fight through some of these hard conversations because we're family. I'm going to fight for you in a way that is different than the person that's just on the street that I don't know mm. because we're family. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I've said recently is that we belong to each other. And so when we come together in reconciled with this curriculum, we're doing so from a position that we belong together. We belong to each other. And so that's, that's it. It's, it's six good weeks of deep, good conversation. That's great. Yeah. Where can people get that? You can get it at centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled. And it's available for pre-order now. And then it drops on July 31st. Great. So you have quite a bold message that really goes against cultural trends. Yeah. To say it very politely. There it like, is. Yeah. There it is. I want to know what kind of pushback, negative pushback you get on a daily basis. What are people saying? And then I want to ask you about the positive side. Okay. Uh, I think what people are saying is, well, she doesn't have a PhD. Um, or she's letting white people off the hook. Or, um, you know, I get the names, the, the, she's just, 
you know, brainwashed by white people or um, that's a coon message or and coon is a derogatory term that has its own historical implications. Um, I get I get that kind of pushback. Uh, I get that I get it and I get it from both sides. So mm. I get that I'm a Trump supporting blah, blah, blah. Or I for some reason, when I use the word unity, it triggers people. Yeah. And so then I got like I'm a BLM loving dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, you know, neither one of those are actually right. But um, I think I get a lot of name calling a lot of. Um, that I'm participating in whiteness, that I am holding black and brown people down, that I'm participating in racism, that I am, you know, just across the board, mm. lovely conversations. How do you, how, what do you do with all that? How do you cope and walk through? Um, I, I talk to the Lord a lot. I talk to my ministry partner, Krista, a lot. I talk to you. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, so there's that. I am thankful for the people that God has placed in my life at this time. It is not the people that I thought would be walking with me during, you know, some of the best and worst days. Yeah. Um, but the people who God has put in my life at this time are the exact people that need to be in my life at this time, that he would have be in my life at this time. Um, and not just from this position of like, oh yeah, so I can talk to them, but like, so that I can learn. How do I do this graciously? Mm -hmm. Because I am not always the most gracious person. You come to me and you ask, you know, you tell me something or you call me out my name, you might catch all of me. <laughs> if you want it, you can have it. <laughs> you need that yeah. fighting spirit, I think, to you do You need the you fighting spirit, but it also has to be capped with grace um, and with humility and um, with a forbearance and an understanding that not everyone who even, you know, upholds the name of Christ believes as I do. Mm -hmm. And so how do I go again with them and not just cut off a relationship? Because I can be like Peter and cut off your ear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't play. Okay. We cut it <laughs> off and let it go. Yeah. Um, but that isn't what the Lord has called me to in this season. It's how do I walk again and go again? Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the best days are, you know, learning, how do I, how do I go again? Or look, hey, I really did go again. I really did. Yeah. I didn't say what I wanted to say. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so proud those days. Yes. Well, Ian, I wanted to ask you that because I, I think that I always tell people when I speak, you know, because I, we kind of do similar. Mm -hmm. Yours is more in the, in the area, of course, like racial issues and critical race theory and biblical unity and things like that. Uh, and of course, I address progressive Christianity, which there are a lot of overlapping yeah. intersections, yes. you know, there. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's the type of ministry that gets a lot of pushback. And so I sometimes I'll tell people when I'm out speaking, just, you know, read the comments on my blog or read yes. the comments on Facebook or, or YouTube or something, because what's coming for me today is coming for you tomorrow. And so I just, you know, I wanted to encourage people to to know that, you know, you can speak truth. Um, but you have to be willing to pay a price for it mm -hmm. because it's it's not popular mm -hmm. in culture to do that always, especially when it comes into issues that people have really internalized as their identity or, or things like that. So, um, yeah, I wanted to ask you that just to give some people encouragement about knowing that it's not just people who are in front of a camera. Yeah. I mean, they're coming. The, the people don't the people killed Jesus. Jesus spoke truth in it and they didn't like it. Yeah. You know, and and so if we're, he promised that if you follow him, the world will hate you too, and we just have to remember it's not us they really hate. Mm -hmm. It's they they hate Jesus. They hate God. Mm -hmm. They don't want that to be imposed upon them. Yeah. The you know the the rule and reign of Christ in their lives, and um, that's why I think Paul said, uh, and I use this analogy a lot because I remember it a lot, especially when pushback comes and things like that. And that's that Paul was saying we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And then he said, but to some people, to those who are being saved, it smells like life. Mm -hmm. It smells like just beauty and light and hope. But to those who are perishing, it smells like death. Mm -hmm. It's the same smell. And so truth has a smell. The gospel has a smell. And when we speak truth into the culture, it's like we're doing that. We're, we're spreading the fragrance. And to some, it stinks. Mm -hmm. And to some, it's going to smell really good, but our job is to spread the message, of yes. course, as persuasively and as lovingly as we can. But ultimately that's, that's our job. But I want to ask you what the, what the positive 
what you know what what kind of encouraging feedback have you received where you'll somebody will say something and you're like that's why I'm doing this yes um goodness gracious there's been so many um gosh I think I think in doing and we we both just spoke at um Teen Pact mm-hmm. last week um listening to kids say you know I I don't have a problem with with racism. Like I love everyone. Thank you for letting me know that it's okay to be white. Wow. You know that it, that it's okay that I don't that I don't have to be ashamed of being white. And I'm like yes mm-hmm. yes. The same way that I'm gonna say black girl magic. I mean I I don't know white girl magic. I don't know if that works necessarily <laughs> as a hashtag. But you know you don't need to be ashamed of your skin. Mm-hmm. When we were speaking at um. Wilberforce, you know, I had so many white men come up like in tears, yeah. crying. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, there, there's, there's, you know, a definite um, dehumanization, mm. I think, on white men. And I am no one savior. Like, I don't say this because I think we all need to now rally around and, you know, do some kind of calls for all the white men. But I do think that in the church, we need to be aware of what's happening to our brothers. Mm -hmm. There's something that's happening to men in general in the church. Mm -hmm. And there is something specific, a a specific attack on white men. Mm -hmm. And I think that we might be missing it in the church. Wow. We might be missing how many white men are injured by the framework of critical race theory of what um, the culture and now the church is even saying about our brothers in Christ. What does that look like? And what is the damage being done to their souls and to their emotions? Um, and so I think that's been over the last you know, two mm. weeks, those have been the most impactful things for me and, and most um gratifying isn't the right word but it's it's given me a ton of hope and and put a smile on my face to know that the message is actually reaching someone tangibly mm-hmm. and and that I can see the fruit of that that you know when I walk on a stage and and the first thing I generally say is hey family you know that that actually means something because I mean it yeah and that they can receive it as family even though culture is saying that because I'm black I should be able to, you know, demand my reparations or talk about um, wealth redistribution or um, say that you are my oppressor and that we can't be unified and things like that. No, we're going to uphold scripture and that means something. That's good. Well, in, in a moment, we're going to go to our subscriber portion. So this is for our Patreon supporters. You can go to patreon.com slash Alisa Childers. Take a look at the different tiers. And if you select, I believe it's tier four or tier three, you get to be a part of a Facebook group. That's where we get the questions for our bonus content. So if you join that Facebook group, you can ask the questions that I will ask our guest for our bonus content, which I believe you can get at tier four. Uh, But of course, the higher up you go, you get all of the benefits from the tiers below you. So check that out at patreon.com slash Alisa Childers. But Monique, as we sort of close out this portion, uh, what word of encouragement would you leave the church with? Everybody who's watching, because I'm very well aware (laughs) <laughs> of all the different beliefs and perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, there are going to be people who heard what you just said, and they're going to say, that was just white tears. You're, uh, you're caving to whiteness. You're letting hook. them off the hook. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be people who I, I believe were genuinely touched by that, who might have been internalizing a lot of those messages, feeling like they don't have a voice, they're not allowed to, to, to speak, and, they, and they've started to internalize shame mm-hmm. for the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So what word would you leave us with? I would leave us with, one, we are family. If you are a believer, a Christ follower, we are family first. And that makes you my brother or sister if you have white skin. If you don't have white skin, you have a, a different shade of brown. That makes us brothers and sisters. Um, and then I think secondly, you know, our God isn't a God of shame. And so if if you are sitting under, you know, shame or under a ministry that is shaming you, I would say get in a conversation with the Lord because 
he's not a God of shame. Mm. Um, you're not shamed for the color of your skin. You're not shamed because of your sin. You might be corrected because of your sin, but there is always a, I feel like a, um, a love that God is putting forward and, and, and an open, like, except like he wants to, to accept you. It's an invitation. Yes. But he will correct you. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And Jesus took that shame upon himself. Yes. It's not something for us to bear. That's a good word. Well, uh, I just want to thank my guest, Monique Dusan today. Thank you so much for being with us. I think I should move from like guest to sister. Well, yeah, yeah. Amen. Who did Amen. I say? Yes, yes. No, I'm just gonna be here for a while. You know, I have to tell you, just while we're still on the air, when, <laughs> when you spoke at Wilberforce and you welcomed everybody as family, this <laughs> sweet little guy came up to me after he goes, "My sister just spoke." Yes, and I said, "I know, my sister just spoke." <laughs> too. <laughs> so, yes, yes. We as Christians, we have to live from that place. Yeah. If we are not living from that place, the world is not able to see our unity. Amen. That's a good word. Well, I want to thank my guest, my sister, who's also my guest, Monique Dusan, at the podcast today. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Click the bell icon that lets you know every time we release a new video. And I learned from Monique that sometimes YouTube will just unsubscribe you. She got unsubscribed from her own channel. So check, make sure if you did subscribe, you're still subscribed. If you're listening on audio platforms, it always helps if you leave a good review. And of course, liking and commenting on social media helps us get those algorithms uh, going, get some humming and get, get this into the news feeds of more people. So thanks so much for your support and your help and for watching. And we'll see you next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.